I'm Joel McMahon, the pastor at St. Philip United Methodist Church, and I welcome you here to our latest podcast. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Oh Lord, as we bow before you at this time, we thank you for your word, which encourages us, which strengthens us, which uh, instructs us and helps us and causes us to be able to grow and to know you in ways that we could know in no other way. We're thankful that we can come together now and study uh, this book of the Bible, your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'll show us the truth that comes from it. And we know that you're with us because you promised that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you'd be in the midst of them. And we've gathered in your name now. And while we're gathered at this time, there are some people who are watching this because they're ill. And I pray, oh God, that you would touch them with your healing strength. There are others who uh, are in quarantine and not able to get out for different reasons. And uh, I pray that you would just visit them with your uh, affirming and loving presence and just help them to know you. There are others that are facing mountains in their lives, Lord God, obstacles that seem to not be shakable. And we're so grateful that the things that we can't handle, we've been told to bring those burdens to you. And so we just name those burdens before you now silently in our hearts and ask for your help with them. Lord, you've heard every prayer, and we thank you for hearing us. Be with us now as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our scripture lesson today is found in the book of Jude, the first chapter, and the only chapter in the book of Jude, and we're going to be reading just the first and second verses as we do this, let me remind you that we are going through a study now of the book of Jude, and we're taking it just bit by bit and making sure we understand this important epistle from uh, Jude, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, so I just, uh, uh, right now, we're just going to read Jude 1, 1, and 2. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Well, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time. Well, uh, this is, uh, uh, like I say, a continuation of a study that we're just starting now of the book of Jude. And uh, it's, it's just so timely. It's addressing those things that we are facing today. And uh, last week we looked at who Jude identifies himself as. He is the brother of James. You know, First of all, he's Jude. Then he's the brother of James. And then uh, not only is he the brother of James, he even says before that he is a servant of God. And we looked last week about how he is a love servant to God. Everything that he says, everything that he thinks, everything that he does, he wants it to be pleasing to God. 
and he wants to be pleasing to Jesus because he loves Jesus so much. And that's the way we're supposed to be. But now he's addressing a certain group of people, those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And later on, he talks about our common faith. And so you see he's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And that includes you. Did you know that you've been called? And if you answer that call, then you're sanctified, and then you are preserved. And uh, these are encouraging words that I just want us to look at today. First of all, the word called, as it's used in Scripture, isn't just an invitation that's sent out, but it is an invitation that is sent out and it's accepted and made real because of the Spirit of God. We looked a while back uh, when we were looking at the hard sayings of Jesus, and we considered what it meant when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. If you will recall, he said this at the ending of his parable of the wedding feast. He issued a lot of invit invitations, or the father of the groom did. He issued many, many invitations, but many made excuses uh, others just refused, and some even uh, beat and hurt and even killed the messengers who were bringing the message. And then finally, he sends out and he tells his servants just to beat the byways and the highways and bring everybody in that'll come. And he had people filling the place for the wedding feast. And those who came to the feast... This is what Jesus is saying. Those who came were chosen. Many were called, but few were the chosen. Uh, when you receive the invitation and you act on it, you are chosen. Let me give you Paul's statement as found in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24 about this. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews, they trusted in their religion instead of trusting in their God. The Greeks trusted in their logic and their philosophy and science instead of trusting in God. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, the invitation has been sent out. And if you have found in Christ the wisdom and power of God, and you have trusted him, you are one of the called. The invitation is sent out, but when it is accepted and believed, then you are the called. And that is exactly what Jude means here, and Paul spells out for us as well. Next, after we are called, it says we are sanctified to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Salvation is the beginning of the Christian life. When you receive the invitation that God 
has issued through his son, you accept it and you step on in, uh, then uh, you are washed and cleansed and you're made holy in the sight of God. Not by your actions, but through your faith and trusting in his cleansing blood, we are sanctified. It's instantaneous. Your sins are taken away and you stand before the Lord. Becoming a Christian or becoming sanctified is not a, uh, an on, well, it's an ongoing process. It's both instantaneous and it's a process. But you don't work your way into being sanctified. You don't work your way into being made pure and holy before God. It's not that you have to labor and struggle and do penance for your sins. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And he's saying, receive what I have done. Receive that. Trust in that. You know, Jesus says it another way. This is just it. God moves you from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven. Just like Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right before you. Repent and believe the good news. He was calling people to enter into the kingdom back then. He's calling people today. And if you haven't responded to that call, he's calling you today to step on into his kingdom today before this broadcast is over. Step into the kingdom. Receive what he has done. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Sanctified means that uh, you're set apart for the service of God. When the epistles address the saints, they're addressing those who have believed and received the good news. And as I said, there are two parts to sanctification. First, after a person turns from their sins and accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've now entered into a new adventure and a spirit-filled existence. They have been sanctified. They have been washed. They have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And all of a sudden, they are made. Motion detected at the front door. They are made holy. They are made acceptable to God. They have been sanctified. I was thinking about this the other day, and it's kind of like fresh fruit and vegetables at our house. When we bring them uh, home from the store, they're not ready for use. We don't know what sort of water was used to uh, process them or to even that they were even grown in. What was used for fertilizer? What sort of uh, stuff they've been through? What sort of insecticides may still be on them? They're not fit for use just because we brought them into the house. Before we can use them, they have to be washed. And after they're washed, then they're ready to either be served, eaten, or used in cooking. Now, if we have uh, some clean ones left, we set them aside. Uh, we don't put them back in the container with the ones that are unwashed. We don't put them back in the dirty sack that they came out of because they have been made clean. We put them in a special place 
for immediate use. The fruit or the vegetables are set aside and useful. And that's what it means to be sanctified. You've been set aside from the world. Once we have been cleansed, we are set aside by the Lord for his use. Just like fruit and vegetables don't clean themselves and make themselves fit or useful, neither do we. It's the Lord's doing. He cleans us and separates us from the world. But then there's another part. Being sanctified is the beginning of a process known as sanctification. Once the Holy Spirit becomes the guiding force for a believer, it begins to convict and transform the individual. And this process of change is what we call sanctification. Through sanctification, God makes someone more holy, less sinful, and more prepared to spend eternity in heaven. Lastly, there's the word kept. Now, it is this word that gives us the key to the entire book of Jude, which presents the apostasy as it is presented nowhere else in the Bible. As we go through this epistle, we're going to be seeing just how fruitful it really is. Uh, but uh, how frightful, seeing how frightful the apostrophe really is. But Jude doesn't write his epistle just to frighten the daylights out of us, nor does he write just to show a vivid picture for our information. He gives us this background in order that he might give assurance in days of apostasy. Now, brothers and sisters, we are in the time of apostasy. We are at a time we have watched for a couple of decades as our nation has turned its back on God. Prayer has been taken out of the schools. Uh, God is being pushed out of all our conversation. The Ten Commandments are being torn off of walls. Crosses are being torn down and and, and lawsuits are being filed saying that they're offensive to people who aren't Christian. Our nation is turning its back on the Lord and it's turning its back on the values that he has given us. And uh, the thing is, even though we are in a time of apostasy, we are kept. And we have words of encouragement for Jude here. He uses the word keep four times, which is what the word preserve means. The word uh, kept, that's translated kept here, it could also mean guarded. It can mean preserved. They are kept in Jesus Christ. And God is the one who keeps them. Notice uh, verse, the verse in Jude one twenty one. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. That means hold fast in the love of God. And Jude one twenty four says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. You may call it anything you want to, but it gives us assurance of salvation. It gives assurance to the believer, even in the dark days of apostasy. 
you and I are presently living in a time of apostasy and how much farther we'll go into it before the rapture takes place, before the Lord comes and takes his church, I do not know, nor does anyone else know, but we definitely are times of apostasy. Now look again at the word preserved and it's uh, interesting to note that in the physical world, there are several ways of preserving food. You can preserve food by smoking it. You can preserve food by heating it and then sealing the uh, container after it's been uh, heated. You can preserve food with salt. And you know, you're called to be the salt of the world. Or you're, you, are, you are salt in the world. And you can preserve with vinegar, and you can preserve with sugar. Now, I was just thinking about this yesterday, and um, I think that probably uh, there are some people that are preserved by smoke. It's the smoke from the pit of hell that they fear, and it keeps them close to the Lord. That's not a bad thing. Hell's going to be a horrible place to be. But the thing is, it's your love that can keep you there more than anything else. But some are preserved by smoke. But here's what J. Vernon McGee says about those who are preserved in sugar and vinegar. He says, there are many saints in our day who I think are preserved, all right, but they are preserved in vinegar. That is, they act that way. They have a vinegar disposition. Now, you know, vinegar sour. Also, there are saints who are preserved in sugar. They are sugar and spice and everything nice. And these are not all women either. But even those who seem to be preserved in vinegar are preserved by God's grace, which preserves or keeps them. Now, the Apostle John tells us in Revelation 12, 11, that they overcame him, talking about Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and their testimony. And that is the only way believers are going to make it through the great tribulation. Now then, do you have a testimony? Have you thought about your testimony? There are three parts to a basic testimony. Before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was like this, my life was like this. And then... I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and however that came about in your life. And since then, my life has been like this. In the first part of my life, it was filled with darkness and fear. And then I, I found a love I couldn't even comprehend. And now then I live out of that love, and I live in joy and peace. That's a basic uh, uh, testimony. Now, the, see, there's the before, there's the transaction where you give yourself to the Lord, and then there's the way your life has been after. That's your testimony. Now, in your testimony, in your life, can you pinpoint the time when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, it's probably one of two reasons. Number one is it could be that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and began to trust him many, many, many years ago, so long ago 
that you don't even remember when it happened. But you know that you love him right now. And you know that you're his. You have lived in his presence. And the thing is, that's the way all of us who are Christian, that's what we want our children's testimony to be like. We don't want the, uh, oh, I was like this, yuck, yuck, chop, chop, who knows what. And then I repented and now I'm like this. For someone to have known the Lord from the time that they were small, that's a wonderful thing. That's not a bad testimony. But even you can look and you can see that because the Lord has been in your life and you have given yourself to him, your life is different from others. And so you have a testimony, but you need to pinpoint it. So now then, but they overcame by the blood of the lamb and their testimony. That's the way that we're going to make it through. And that is the only way we are going to overcome by the blood of the lamb. There's no merit or power in us to overcome the evil one. Now I've shown you the picture of Jesus that hangs in my office before that my brother-in-law Larry gave me. It's a picture of Jesus as the great shepherd in the middle of his flock and he's holding a little lamb. Now, maybe being that little lamb is how you feel, just being held and loved by the Lord, lovingly carried by the master. That's wonderful. One sheep is very nearby and he just looks up adoringly at his master. Maybe that's you. Others in the flock are looking at each other. Well, I know a lot of Christians, they spend a lot of time looking at each other and comparing themselves to each other. That's a waste of time, but still, there are a lot of Christians that do that. You shouldn't be measuring yourself by each other. You should be measuring yourself by how fully you're pleasing the Lord. Still, others are looking out away from the flock at the world around. And it's like, they're seeing some green pasture over there and they're looking longingly. If that's you, I want to encourage you, turn now and put your eyes on the master. Get them off of the grass that's greener. It's not greener over there. Let me tell you, it's not. Some are lagging behind. There's one little group that's lagged behind and they're in a smaller group by themselves. They're still close enough to be considered a part of the flock, but they're getting on the fringe. And then there's the black sheep, very close to one side. And that's me. You look and you wonder, what's that black sheep even doing there? He's different from all the rest. He's, he he, he, he kind of sticks out. It's not like he belongs. But you know what? That's me. And I belong because the Lord is my shepherd. And that's you. Maybe you feel like that black sheep like me. We're all in his flock though. And this picture uh, is taken from the illustration which the Lord himself gave when he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he goes on to talk about his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You'll find that in John 10, 27 through 29, if you'd like to read that for comfort. Now, I hope you see this. If a sheep is kept in safety, it's no credit to the sheep. A sheep can't defend itself. It doesn't have sharp fangs and claws to fight its enemy with. It can't run very well either. Now, a jackrabbit can defend itself, or, or well, a jackrabbit cannot defend itself uh, either, but at least a jackrabbit can get away from trouble because they're, they're fast and they can run fast. A sheep can't even do that. Sheep are pretty helpless. One thing the sheep can do is stay close to the shepherd. Now, I was thinking about this yesterday. I remembered a time when uh, I got to feel the danger that we put ourselves in when we start moving away from the Lord, our shepherd. My family and I were on a Caribbean cruise, and, and we got to go snorkeling. And, you know, that's whatever you put on a, a face mask, and you use a snorkeling tube that's got a, it's like a J, and the short part goes in your mouth, and you can swim along and just look at the water, or look in the water at the bottom of the ocean even, and you can see all the fish and all that are swimming around, beautiful structures and all that are there. And you can breathe through this tube so you don't have to constantly come up for air. And so there were about 40 of us that were uh, let out in this place to, uh, we were taken out by a, by a small, by, well, by a boat to an area where a ship, a ship had sunk. And uh, because the ship had sunk and there were uh, was lots of uh, wildlife growing on it and wildlife finding shelter there, it was just teeming with uh, uh, aquatic life. And it was beautiful to look at. And so we were all out there and I was just looking, it's like looking at a giant aquarium, all these multicolored fish and big ones and little ones. And I was paddling along there and swimming and looking. And all of a sudden I noticed I was not hearing the sound of the people splashing around me anymore. And it's just as I'd gotten to the very edge of the ship that was sunken, and it was right on the edge of the, the, of the, the side of the, of the island that was going down, and the island just made an abrupt drop down into just murkiness and white, thousands and thousands of feet down. And it was just murky. You couldn't see the bottom from there. And all of a sudden, our jaws had not been out too awful long at that point. And I had seen jaws. And I looked at this murky water, and you couldn't see whatever might be coming at you until it was pretty close to you. And all of a sudden, I could just picture jaws just coming right out at me out of this white murk. And so I raised my head up and I looked around and I was probably 50 yards 
from anybody else in the group. Now, I didn't want to make any uh, rash moves or splash or anything because I was out there all by myself and I was just a sitting duck for Jaws if he was out there or she, whatever. So anyway, so I just very gently moved my way back into where I was with the group again. And I must say I felt rather guilty, but I did learn this is one of the ways that there is safety in numbers. If you're in a group, uh, then there's a, a, a chance that if somebody's coming after somebody, they might get them instead of you. But uh, anyway, I just felt safer in the group. And the thing is, I was out there, I was vulnerable because I was apart from the group and also because I was apart from the boat. And the thing is, this is whenever you start drifting out away from church and being involved in church and gathering with God's people, drifting away and forsaking assembling together with one another, you're putting yourself in danger, especially in times like this. You need the safety that comes from staying with the group. And you also need the safety of staying close to your Lord. Uh, you see, when one of God's sheep says that he knows that he's saved, he's not boasting in his own merit. He's boasting about his shepherd, and he has a wonderful shepherd. Jesus is wonderful, isn't he? Friends, if you're saying that you're not sure of your salvation, what you're really saying is that you don't have much faith in your shepherd because he says that he can keep you. He says that no created thing will be able to take you out of his father's hand. It's not a question of whether or not you can hang on to him. It is a question of his holding on to you. And he says that he can, and it's a matter of your trusting him. You see, salvation rests on Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Word of God. It's up to you whether you will believe him or not. Your assurance of salvation rests upon that because he has made it very clear that you have a sure salvation. And here in Jude, we are presented with the dark days of apostasy, and God still says, he is able to keep his own. Isn't it great to know that in this time when everything points to the soon return of the Lord and as we see people falling away and trying to draw us away, that he is going to keep us. We're not going to be pulled away as long as we stay close to him. Let's bow our heads now for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we thank you for this promise that you can keep us. And we pray, O oh God, that you would uh, help us to stay close to you because it's in being close to you that we find safety. And we thank you that you've promised that you would, that all we have to do is trust you instead of trusting ourselves Forgive us if we've been trusting in ourselves to do the things that only you can do. 
And Lord, there are some people that are listening to this and they realize today that they don't have a testimony. They cannot point to a time when they gave their life to you and they can't point to your to their lives right now and say for sure that they have really been a living a life of love for you and a life that's lived in your power and your keeping power. And they want to receive you and they want to start trusting you today. They want to have a testimony. And Lord, I pray that uh, uh, they'll just pray this prayer right along with me. Lord Jesus, I realize now that I've been trying to do things on my own. And I realize now also I can't. I can't wash myself. I can't cleanse myself. But you have already done those things to make me clean on Calvary. And today, I ask that you forgive me for trying to do what only you can do. And I ask you to wash me and cleanse me. I repent of my sin. I don't want to live a life of sin anymore. I want to live a life that pleases you. And so I give my life to you. Come into my heart and, uh, and make me whole and wash me and cleanse me. Thank you, Lord, for doing that right now. And from now on, I'm living my life for you. Send your Holy Spirit, oh God, I pray right now, into the lives of those who have opened their hearts and their lives to you and fulfill your promise that those who love me will be loved by you and that you and your Father will come and make your abode in them through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Pour your Holy Spirit out upon them, I pray. There are others who have drifted away, and I pray, O oh Lord, that you would cause them to say, Lord, today I'm coming home. And as they do so, I pray that you would just run to meet them, just like the Father ran to meet the prodigal son, and just take them back in. All of these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed with me, either for salvation or for just coming back to the Lord, I wish that you'd write in the comment section below and let me know uh, so that I'll have uh, some idea that we're making a difference with these podcasts. And uh, if you just, uh, if you have a prayer request as well, and you want me to be praying with you or our church to be praying with you in agreement and prayer. We'll be happy to do that. Just put it in the comments below and uh, we'll get with you. Until next time now, goodbye and God bless. <music>